situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Please. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans Bob Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my win. Boston Celtics forward Grant Williams had just one game in his NBA career to the point of the postseason this year where he had scored 20 points in a game. During the series against the Milwaukee Bucks, he scored 21 and 27 points, including 27 in the series-clinching win in Game 7. Certainly a great performance from a player that you know, really to this point hadn't gotten his opportunity. You know, Robert Williams being hurt certainly gave him uh, a chance to get some more minutes, play 30-plus minutes, but obviously the confidence to shoot as many threes, hitting a career-high seven threes in the game was one of the main reasons the Boston Celtics are heading to the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, if you look at the other side to West, I think there's a lot of discussion about Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. Is it a surprise that they beat the Phoenix Suns? Is it a surprise that they're in the Western Conference Finals, sure. And I think the narrative is going to exist. It's going to be a new narrative because I think the expectation was that the Suns were getting back to the NBA Finals. Maybe the Golden State Warriors were an easy two-pick, but the narrative is going to push itself towards the Golden State Warriors and discussing, you know, the the lineage that they've had during, you know, first their dynasty. And you could ask... Is their dynasty over? Is this a new grouping of players? And the Warriors can change that. Very simple. If they go out there and win a championship this year, which they can, you know, I'm not believing in the Golden State Warriors this year, but let's say hypothetically they go out there and they win the NBA championship. Let's say they beat Dallas however way is possible, and then they beat either Boston or Miami in the NBA Finals. doesn't seem so far-fetched right now. And if that happened, how does that impact the view of this particular Warriors team? Because I've kind of drawn a line that went through the last NBA Finals appearance when they lost to the Toronto Raptors in 2019. I looked back at it and I said, you know what? As great of a dynasty as it was, which the Golden State Warriors certainly have been the last dynasty that the NBA has seen, it was probably ending. And obviously that really bad season that they had afterwards when Clay Thompson, you know, missed, you know, the beginning of two years being out. Steph Curry was out and injured. You know, they certainly a lot of teams were going for him that day, and then they had the coronavirus and the bubble and you know, they weren't gonna be part of it anyway. But the Lakers ended up winning a championship and the discussion was, hey, are the Lakers back? This group of Los Angeles Lakers led by LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook comes into the mix this year. Not really a good fit. You can hear about all the discussions in the offseason of what the Lakers are going to do and whether Westbrook's going to be back. But the Phoenix Suns really looked like that team that had kind of uh, taken a mantle and said, hey, the time is now. 64 wins in a regular season coming off of an appearance in the NBA Finals. You know, no, not a. obviously you can't question the fact that they, they took the champion Bucks. To a deciding game. 
and obviously Giannis and his presence there. But you look at the players for the Phoenix Suns, and you're wondering, you know, Devin Booker, as great of a scorer as he is, yeah, has a bad game. If he's off, who's really picking up the offense there? Chris Paul, Hall of Famer, absolutely great facilitator. He had that game where he's 14 for 14 from the field. He, I don't think he could kind of click it on and off if they need him to go out there and drop 35 or 40 in a game. I don't think he could really do that anymore. Do I think he could be an absolute impact player? Sure. He could be a leader. He could be a, a team a, a player. I, I think one of the things that's come out is can the Suns win a championship? Can Chris Paul win a championship? And I, I believe all those things are still possible. The Suns and we'll talk about this after the NBA season ends, but you know, there's a lot of options for what the Suns can do. They can move on from Chris Paul. DeAndre Ayton may you know, look like for the max extension or new contract that he's looking for, maybe on the way out. Um, you know, What kind of shuffle are, are the uh, Suns going to do in a deck here? But Chris Paul, can he win a championship again? My belief is absolutely. Can he win a championship? He's never won one before. Um, can the Suns, you know, the team that seems to be snake bitten when it comes to, you know, having really good teams, but for some reason something doesn't click in yet, can they win a championship? I, I think they can, but it's going to be interesting to see how they turn this roster around or what they end up running back if they decide to run it back. Because the Golden State Warriors, yes, they made additions. Jordan Poole, you know, Jonathan Kaminga, uh, Andrew Wiggins, certainly. Yeah, you look at the depth of the Warriors, and I, I think they are stronger, if not just as strong as they were when they were winning championships. They got a lot of players that they can move in and out. Obviously, they're very well coached. It's a team that plays defense. You know, the Warriors' decision was kind of more of a retool as opposed to a rebuild. You know, you got Clay Thompson, you got Draymond Green, you got Steph Curry, and the thought was, hey, they weren't going to move on from any of those players. But what they've done right is they've been able to work, let's say, a Jordan Poole. Um, certainly, um, you know, Looney, Loney, you know, the center has done a great job for them, a big-time performance in Game 7 against Memphis. So you, you got other players that have come in and have bought into the system, which is led by Steve Carr, certainly Mike Brown leaving um, as an assistant coach going to the, Los, to the uh, Sacramento Kings is something that's going to impact them one way or the other. May not be that big of a deal. Maybe, you know, Kerr and the system that exists there is similar to what you think of Greg Popovich and the five-time champion San Antonio Spurs. But I look at the Warriors and I compare them with a championship victory. And that means that they beat Dallas. That means that they beat either Boston or Dallas. I mean, sorry, Boston or Miami in the NBA Finals. And I think of the Chicago Bulls of the 1990s. And I bring this up for a reason because, you know, the Bulls during that decade had something happen to them that was a little similar to the Golden State Warriors. You could say Clay got hurt, Steph got hurt. That kind of brought that team down off of the mantle when they went out there and won three NBA championships, got to two other finals, right? Losing to Cleveland and then, of course, in 2019 to Toronto. But, you know, the Bulls in the middle of the 90s, kind of had a, a self-imposed thing. Michael Jordan broke up the Chicago Bulls. That was his decision. He decided he wanted to go try to play baseball, and, and whatever. You know, if he was able to do it, if he ended up having a, a 10-year major league career after winning three NBA championships, you talk about him as one of the greatest multi-sport athletes to ever play 
in, in, in a history of sports, but it didn't work out. It probably, the odds were it wasn't going to work out, but Michael Jordan went out there, played a season of minor league baseball at a mediocre level, which was not good enough for Michael Jordan. He came back, you know, pretty much in time for the second half of the 95 season, and the Bulls didn't have enough to get, get in the play, you know, through the playoffs and back to the NBA Finals, but 96, 97, 98, the Bulls win three more championships with the second win led by Michael Jordan. Now, obviously, they don't do it without Scottie Pippen. They don't do it without some of the role players that they happen to have there at times, whether it's a Horace Grant later on with Dennis Rodman, Tony Kukoc, very important players that allowed for them to win. But I look at the Warriors, and it's not going to be about one player. That's the difference. You know, everybody's going to talk about Jordan. Listen, Scottie Pippen is probably the most underrated star player to ever play in NBA history. He was an all-time great. He was an all-time great if you don't think of Jordan. But because Jordan was so much better and because Jordan was the best player in the history of the NBA, which we could have this discussion, and you know, I love the side discussions that come in in any of these, the, these talks that I bring up, you know, there, there's no player. And I love LeBron James. LeBron James is the best player of this generation. LeBron James is the second best player of all time. He is the best player of all time, not named Michael Jordan. Just, you got to understand that Michael Jordan was so much superior to anybody that was on the court with him. And I know we could transplant generations and these discussions always come up. You could say, well, would Jordan be able to beat Kobe? Jordan in his prime versus Kobe in his prime. And, uh, of course, they their careers kind of overlapped a little bit. But, you know, the Jordan at the end playing for the Washington Wizards is not the same player. Um, Kobe to LeBron. Jordan to LeBron. You want to go back and compare George Mikan to, to LeBron. You know, people don't want to do that. And, once again, that's, this gets me into my rant when it comes to not respecting old-time players in an old-time game that was played different. You could play a game with the set rules that you have and the strength of the players around you, and there's still going to be players that are the best on the court. Or if we're talking about baseball or football on the field, or if we're talking about hockey, which I hope to touch on in a little bit, we're talking about on the ice. And... You know, we tend to forget about those players because the game is so much more sophisticated now. There's so much more stuff involved with the technology, with the way it's played and the, the pace. And then, of course, you got to talk about the strength and conditioning. The players are so much bigger and stronger than they were then. All stuff that was not the fault of the players that happened to be around for that generation. The only thing they did wrong is they were born at a different time. And that's why the Babe Ruth discussion, when people try to say that Babe Ruth is not the greatest baseball player ever, hands down, are, are people that are ignorant to the fact that Babe Ruth had no choice of what time he was born. He was born in 1895. He died in 1948. That's not his fault. That's his luck of birth and the time that he was around. He didn't have any of the enhancement, whether it's steroids or weightlifting and conditioning, um, analytics, and all the different things they have in a game today. Now, could you imagine Babe Ruth on steroids? Could you imagine Babe Ruth with an iPad in his hand, um, studying his at-bat and trying to get the appropriate launch angle? Which, by the way, he was he found a way to do without any help from a, a hitting guru or a computer. So, George Mikan, to me, 
is the Babe Ruth of the National Basketball Association. That being said, I don't think he's on the level of Babe Ruth. I don't think he's an all-time great. You know, I think a fair comparison to George Mikan might be Ross Barnes, who played in the 1870s in the old National Association, perfected the fair foul hit with kind of the masse or the backspin and ended up getting a ball that was in fair territory at some point on the infield. Once the ball landed fair, it was considered a fair ball. That was the rules of the game. That's not Ross Barnes's fault. The fact that he went out there and he hit whatever, 398 for his career, uh, you know, or, or sorry, for a series of years. And I think his, his batting average was, what, 362 or 368? Obviously, you're talking about the you know the best player of that generation. But as you move forward and you say, all right, well, the home run era comes, live ball era ends, and there's players that were best in the live ball era, and you move you, you know you you move on from Ruth to DiMaggio to Ted Williams to the great players that played in the the 50s and the 60s with Aaron and Mays and Ernie Banks, and then you talk about players now like Griffey and Trout. And home runs, obviously, enhanced by the steroids. And Barry Bonds, as great of a player as he was. And all we want to do is, is is say that because of all the advantages that the players have now, is that there's no way that the other players could compete because of what they didn't have. But if you transplant that player from then to now, or if you transplant the player from now to then, you have to make everything normalized. Everything is on the same playing field. If Babe Ruth were to be taken in the DeLorean, having it cracked up, cranked up to 88 miles an hour and brought into the year of 2020, he's going to have the weight training. He's going to have the GNC products, maybe the steroids that the players are using right now. He's going to have the analytics with the iPad and the guru that's going to jam all this information into his, his head. He's going to be in better shape than he was during the, the periods of 1916 to 1935 when he played. Or if you're taking Mike Trout from the generation he's playing in now, let's say you put him in a hot tub time machine and he had dropped that back to 1920. Mike Trout's not going to have an iPad in his hand. Mike Trout is not going to have any interest in lifting weights. Perhaps he's not anywhere near in the type of shape that he is right now. So whatever that is, you're comparing just the numbers. The numbers are the only thing that we have to compare. It's unfair to compare the time a person ended up playing to their ability to match players that had the enhancement and advantage of playing in a more sophisticated generation. It's not fair. It's not fair to those players that played back then. They were the best with all the technology that they had right now. The technology of the game, obviously the technology that's used with the game, the fact that there was no weight training. You know, Ted Williams basically developed his own information. He said, listen, I'm going to be 100% into hitting a baseball. I'm going to study and understand every element of it. And you know what? After that, generations of players have tried to hit the ball like Ted Williams. Ted Williams, like I said, he didn't have a computer. Ted Williams, you know, did did what he did on his own. But as it applies to basketball, and we're talking about, let's say, uh, uh, a George Mikan not being top 20 or top 30 or top 50, 
in a lot of people's minds when it comes to the best basketball players ever. You know, listen, the three-point shot changed the game. The height and length of the players prior to that, guys like like uh, Chamberlain, you know, Kareem, Bill Russell, you know, they changed the game. That's not George Mikan's fault. It's not George Mikan's fault that he played in, you know, the 40s and the 50s and his life, you know, started earlier than that and ended, you know, not that much later after that. But back to as this applies to what we're talking about when we're talking about the Warriors and we're comparing them potentially. And this comparison doesn't come up unless the Warriors win a championship this year. The Warriors to the Bulls of the 90s. Because the Bulls, like I said, they took two years off. When Michael Jordan decided he didn't want to play basketball anymore and he wanted to try to play baseball, like I said, it didn't work out. It was like Tiki Barber, you know, quitting as a running back for the Giants and going on a Today Show. That didn't work out. It, it didn't work out because of anything that Tiki Barber didn't try hard enough. It, you know, Michael Jordan, he didn't. Tr- it wasn't that he didn't try hard enough to play baseball. It just wasn't meant to be. So after Michael Jordan's failure as a Major League Baseball player, he went back and he won three championships with the Bulls. Now, like I said, the situation with the Warriors is different. It's more injury-centered. Steph Curry was hurt. Obviously, Klay Thompson was out for two years. Those players are back. Because of that, they have drafted well. And listen, you're talking about players that are taken in uh, uh, you know latter part of the first round, second round picks, and players that can be considered reaches, but players that fit the system of what Steve Kerr and the Golden State Warriors are looking to do. And you've got rotational players. And those players are going to be able to help as guys like Curry and Green and Thompson are getting older. They are. Listen, they're getting older. They have, I believe, another championship run in them. But it's going to have to start by winning another one. Until they do, I'm not believing that this team is back. And going back to what I started talking about when it came to the Dallas Mavericks, you know, they're an interesting team. Their best player, you know, Luka, is not the greatest defensive player, but they play good team defense. Spencer Dinwiddie is a player that I love. Loved him back to the days that he played for the Brooklyn Nets. Is a is a very good scorer. As you saw in Game 7, popping 30 off the bench, but is limited in regards to what he contributes on the defensive side of the ball. The Mavericks got players that can play defense. You know, Finney Smith plays good defense. You know, Dwight Powell plays good defense. Um, you know, Brunson you know, is a better defensive player than he gets credit for. Is this a team that's going to be able to go toe-to-toe with the Golden State Warriors? I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a fun series. But the easy part would be to say, hey, Golden State's going to win. Because that's a lot of people had Golden State in the conference finals, right? You know, whether you had them winning to, you know, beating Phoenix or losing to Phoenix, odds are most people had Golden State in the the, the conference finals. I didn't. I, I had Memphis, I had Phoenix, and it had nothing to do with the one and two seeds. I just believed that Memphis could beat Golden State. I still believe that. I still believe that they played another seven game series. Maybe a couple things go differently. People were knocking Memphis for maybe not being ready for the moment, not being mature enough, and not being their time. Okay, whatever. But I think they were as good of a team as the Golden State Warriors. In the end, the better team won. The Warriors won. So the team that advances further by default is the better team. I just don't believe in this Golden State team. 
Now, listen, I could continue to be proved wrong. If you want to write a laundry list of shit that I've said over the years that turned out to be proven incorrect over time, we'd have a nice little cavalcade uh, you know, of disaster when we could talk about some of the points that I made. But when it comes to the Golden State Warriors, I just I don't believe that they have that extra surge in them. Now, you know, you've watched Thompson, you've watched Steph Curry. They've had moments that, for whatever reason, their shooting has been off. You know, Steph Curry popping bombs from way beyond the arc should be a natural thing. He's had days where those shots aren't falling. Does that mean they will again? Does the jump shot or a three-point shot over a series of years have the same ability to deteriorate or depreciate as much as a player's game, as much as a player's stamina and strength and ability to bounce back? I don't know. I don't think that's been proven yet. But I, I don't look at Steph Curry as the same player as he was in his prime. Listen, Clay Thompson, he's playing off of a lot of uh, energy. He's playing off of a lot of bravado, right? He's got something to prove at this moment. He's been out of the game for a couple years. He wants to prove that he could be out there on the court and be the player that he was before that. Is he a top 75 player of all time? Whatever. We could have that discussion all day until the cows come home too. But... You know, Clay Thompson is still on that, hey, I got something to prove stage. You know, you said I was done. I want to show I got something left. And maybe the Warriors could uh, bounce off of that. You know, Draymond Green. To me, the biggest concern with Draymond Green is his ability to stay on the court. And I'm not talking about injuries. Hopefully, he's 100%. If he's not, you, you know that he's going to give everything he has while he's on the court. But I'm talking about, you know, Draymond being Draymond. I'm trying to get in the heads of the opposing players. You know, the, the hard fouls, the flagrant fouls, fouling out of games, arguing every call with the ref. And I think over time, that's going to be a detriment to the Golden State Warriors. You know, if you're a ref and you got the Warriors game, you know Draymond Green's going to be talking shit all game. He's going to be talking shit to the opponent. He's going to be complaining about every foul call. And he's going to be right on your last nerve as an official. So you know, losing Draymond Green, as great of a defensive player as he is, is going to put the Warriors in a lesser position. So one of the factors to the Warriors winning this series against Dallas and then eventually a chance to win the NBA championship is how much is Draymond Green going to be able to control himself? Because I don't think, I don't think he has that ability. He can talk about it on his talk show all he wants. I don't believe he has the ability to compose himself. Now, if he if he gets himself in an altercation, I don't think he's going to go throw punches. He understands the impact of that. If his opponent gets off the ground and starts throwing haymakers at him, he'll probably uh, you know back away with the understanding that that player is going to get suspended, and he won't. But is he going to? have his play under the microscope. Every single play and every single call that doesn't go his way, is he going to bitch at the ref and get the refs and the officials in a position where they're going to start targeting? And players don't get targeted in the NBA by officials for no reason. They get targeted because the officials get tired of hearing the same complaints and bullshit. And you can look at the other side of the court and look at Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks and understand that, that's been a, a major issue with Luka this year. 
Luka's got to stop bitching and complaining too. You're looking at two players that are going to be on the court in this series that are going to have targets on their back. And it's not targets on their back from their opposition. You know that, hey, uh, you know you want to be able to score against Green. And Luka's got the ability. You know, how, how are you going to be able to stop him? Even good defense doesn't stop Luka Doncic. But when I look at these two players, you know there's going to be a target on their back from the officials because all they do is bitch and complain. And one of the things that's bothered me about the NBA, dude, you know, can we stop with this over-aggressive trying to sell a friggin' charge? Is that really a way you play defense? I compare it to catchers framing in baseball. Two things we could do without in the world of sports. You know, if the, if the officials really started calling blocking fouls for these players that are trying to establish position, and, and, I, and I use my fingers here when we're talking about air quotes, establish position, like catcher's framing. You know, catcher's framing is basically deceiving the umpire into thinking a ball is a strike. And one of the greatest things I ever heard somebody say was you had an umpire that didn't like the fact that the catcher kept moving his glove. And the umpire says, listen, son, if you move your glove, I'm calling it a ball. And that should be, by the way, that should be thrown in there as a rule. You want to be a good umpire, you tell that catcher who keeps jerking his glove after every pitch, uh, you know, if he's got to move his glove, then obviously the pitch is out of the strike zone. And better umpiring will probably eliminate the need for catchers to frame. You say, listen, son, if you move your glove, I'm calling the pitch a ball. And the same thing in the NBA. If I, if I see that your sole purpose is to try to draw an offensive foul, I'm calling a blocking foul on you. Because this is something you didn't see in a game before, certainly in the 80s and the early part of the 90s when the game of basketball was so much more physical. You know, I look back at that and you know there were so many things that would happen. And hey, contact is contact. I mean, the officials will let, let them play after there's collisions. I don't expect them to do that now, but this establishing position, you know, unless you could get yourself to a point where you're literally just standing there and a guy barrels into you like James Harden likes to do, then I think you're on you're onto something. But if you if not, I think you're gonna have to call a block and foul. And you know, when it comes to the way, let's say, a Harden plays, and I've seen those those plays where he literally takes the ball, puts it in his hands like he's a running back, and just barrels into whoever is close to him, hoping to get a foul call. Listen, to me, that would be that would signal that it's an offensive foul. You hold the ball like you're a fullback in the NFL. To me, I would automatically call out an offensive foul regardless of how the contact is initiated. Because if you're gonna, if your intention is to cause the contact, then that is the definition of what an offensive foul should be in the National Basketball Association. But when it comes to players saying, hey, if I establish the right position, yeah, listen, I, I, I don't agree with it. Your intent as a defensive player should not be to try to cause offensive fouls. And there should be more blocking fouls than charges as, as we look at calls in the NBA, especially in the playoffs. Now, like I said, what should be the point of contention shouldn't be about the player establishing their position. It should be the intent of the player with the ball in their hand. The offensive player... To make it an offensive foul, they have to have the initiation to cause 
the contact, which is something that the NBA isn't doing. The NBA is putting the onus on the defensive player to say, hey, they established position or they didn't establish position. It should be on, the onus should be on the offensive player. Was your intent to go cause this contact? If it was, it's an offensive foul. If your intent was just to get to the basket and the, guy, the player ha- happened to make contact with you, then it should be a foul on the defense. To me, I think it should be that simple. As always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you another show coming Saturday, which will be the 21st day of May 2022. Today is May 17th, the uh, 17th day of May. Uh, check out the podcast if you want, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, videos on YouTube. God bless you. And as always, I see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the friggin' World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. Now they come out as the biggest major league baseball manager apologist it'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired because hitters are going out there saying i'm either going to hit a home run or i'm going to strike out and if i don't get a pitch that i feel like i could drive out of the park not even supposed to be here today especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when i say this there are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Tony Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. Ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion. <laughs>